Hello from Classical KUCO. This is Spotlight on the Arts, where we take a moment to talk with local artists, performers, composers, conductors, and leaders on the many special activities and challenges taking place within our community. I'm your host, Paul Nesper. For our November 9th episode, we sit down with Sean Churchman with Oklahoma Shakespeare to talk about their upcoming production of Born with Teeth, which tells the story of Shakespeare and Kit Marlowe. Then, we sit down with Lemuel Bardigas and Isaac Byrne to talk about the other Mozart, the story of Mozart's genius sister coming to OCCC. Next, we sit down with Dr. Zachary Daniels and Dr. Tess Remy Schumacher to discuss the Oklahoma Community Orchestra's concert titled Love and Passion in Music. We then sit down with Dr. Sergio Montero from Oklahoma City University to talk about his continued performance of Brahms' complete works for piano and chamber music. Finally, we sit down with Nolan Riley and Joseph Ripka with the Oklahoma City chapter of the American Guild of Organists. As we like to say, let's put a spotlight on the arts here in Oklahoma. Please stay with us. Support for KUCO comes from TSET, dedicated to reducing tobacco use with the reminder that exposure to secondhand smoke is known to cause lifelong health problems and is especially harmful to growing children. More at TobaccoStopsWithMe.com. Support for KUCO comes from the Oklahoma City Community Foundation, helping individuals, families, and nonprofit organizations create charitable funds to benefit the community both now and in the future. Learn more, including ways to support, at OCCF.org. Welcome back to Spotlight. My first guest today is Sean Churchman, director of Born With Teeth, being presented by Oklahoma Shakespeare. The production tells the story of William Shakespeare and Kit Marlowe. The production runs from November 9th through November 19th in the Black Box Theater. Sean, welcome to Spotlight. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, we're excited to talk with you. You are directing the Oklahoma premiere of Born With Teeth. It's going to be happening at Oklahoma Shakespeare in the Paseo November 9th through the 19th. Now, this is a pretty new work. Am I understanding that correctly? That's correct. It's been at just a few regional theaters uh, around the country. Uh, it has not, to my knowledge, it has not been in New York yet, but it's been in some of the largest regional theaters in the country, like the Guthrie in Minneapolis. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've noticed as I was researching a little bit for this interview that it's it's gotten quite a bit of buzz and acclaim. Is that sort of what drew you to this and why you wanted to bring it to Oklahoma? Absolutely. Uh, you know, um, we always try to look for plays not only that are in the Shakespearean canon, but are about this time, could be about the life of, you know, I mean, like Shakespeare in Love that was <laughs> just produced, you know, kind of a new way to look at Shakespeare. And so, and this play certainly fits that bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is the significance of being one of the first performing ensembles to share this award-winning production? It's got to be a cool feeling. It is a cool feeling. You know, um, I was chatting with the cast the other day and saying, you know, when you're doing 
a new play. It's certainly new to us. Uh, none of us have ever seen it. That it actually frees you up. I mean, it really gets the creative juices flowing, you know, because you have no pre preconceived ideas about how it is supposed to play, how they did this particular moment. You know, you're creating it with the cast. And that is uh, just a great feeling. It's really creative. Were there any challenges in, in in working on this and presenting a new work? Because I know as a musician, you know, a lot of times we'll listen to recordings of other people playing works. But if you're doing a new commission or a brand new work, you don't always have that reference. And it can be liberating, but it can also be terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. I mean, you feel <laughs> you feel a great amount of responsibility to get it right. And so where you are sort of freed up and you're working from your gut quite often you feel this responsibility to get it right. And what I told the cast from the very beginning is don't get married to anything because we might uh, get into, you know, a couple of weeks uh, into rehearsal and might go, you know what? We were completely wrong about this moment. You know, this is how it's now playing because, you know, the longer you dig into a play, the clearer it becomes. You know, uh, just like with any piece of music, you know, you begin to understand the structure of the play so much better. For sure. And so uh, we have absolutely had that experience, you know, uh, getting to a certain scene and going, you know what, remember what I said two weeks ago when we were sitting around the table? Ignore all that. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to take this tack on it. So I, I can definitely see how that's both terrifying but also liberating. You, you're, you're free to try things, and if it works, great, and if it doesn't, Okay, cool. We tried it. Let's see. Let's see a try different something way to else. Look at it. Yeah, let's try something else. So, what can our classical KUCO listeners expect from this production? Well, uh, first of all, it's what we call a two-hander. There are only two actors in the play. One actor is playing William Shakespeare, and the other is playing Kit Marlowe. And of course, Marlowe was the king <laughs> of Elizabethan theater at this time. You know, he was by far the most famous uh, writer of the day, and. Um, Will was kind of uh, the young, as we quote, upstart crow. <laughs> and so it is a fictional meeting uh, of the two of them to work on the Henry plays. Many Shakespearean scholars, and I am anything but a Shakespearean scholar. <laughs> I'm not either, so we're in good company. <laughs> yeah. Um, many Shakespearean scholars believed that that Shakespeare had uh, a collaborator on the Henry plays. And so there is no evidence, or I certainly couldn't find anyone that could give conclusive evidence that he worked with Marlowe. But um, so this, the playwright of Born With Teeth, Liz Duffy Adams, you know, uh, fictionalizes this collaboration. You know, what's very interesting, it's not just about the art. It's really also about the politics, the highly politicized time of Elizabethan England when there were serious religious wars happening mm -hmm. uh, and there were very serious court intrigue between Robert Cecil and Lord Essex and Sir Walter Raleigh and, you know, all of these guys whom we've all heard about, you know, a million times. Uh, we hear about them often. Uh, because there were competing factions. And so it's looking at this relationship between Marlowe and Shakespeare also through the sort of political machinations of the day. And that actually took a lot of research, you know, to dig into that. 
uh, so we knew what's important. And I think it's not really a play about that because it's about their relationship. But mm-hmm. this um, this political time was so fraught that it influenced it. Well, it's an, it's an important context to to what was going on at the time too. I mean, we can say the same thing about you know how many different eras uh, throughout humanity when it comes to art versus conflicts on on Earth. So yeah, without a doubt. So to make sure I'm understanding this correctly, obviously these are two real-life living people, but the story itself is based partly in fiction. It's it's not necessarily stories or anything like that? Absolutely okay. not. It is really a, a fictional okay. story, but it's given this historical context. Yeah, centered around these two famous people. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I was understanding that correctly. That's yeah. going to be really, really cool. Is this going to be in the small intimate theater or are we going to be outdoors? Small intimate theater, although, you know, the weather right now <laughs> is kind of perfect for outdoor theater. That's what I figured, but again, you never know with Oklahoma weather You sometimes. never know. Um, so, no, it's in the small theater indoors. Only has 60 seats. So, you know, kind of not a bad seat in the house. Exactly. The actors are kind of up in your face. And, you know, what's important to remember is that it's a contemporary play. You know, although they have British accents because they were British, they <laughs> speak just like you and I. It's it is not fancy. Uh, so uh, there's, uh, y- y- you know, what it really does is humanize these two larger than life or outsized uh, historical personalities and humanizes them in a way that, you know, we can all really uh, identify with. Well, and I, what's great about organizations like yours and a lot of these other uh, groups we have in the Oklahoma City metro area is you all are really trying to bring the theater to the people and deconstruct this notion that it's got to be a black tie event and, you know, I have to have my monocle and my top hat and say, <laughs> good day, sir. Exactly. <laughs> it's actually, um, yeah, it really is kind of a, a great introduction if you are not a theater goer or even don't know a lot about Shakespeare you're going to not only learn some about him, but really um, it's not a historical play. You know, I mean, it's just about two guys at the top of their game battling it out, and they battle it out. <laughs> I mean, we have, a you know, a fight coordinator, and, uh, you know, I mean, it is, uh, it, it really is, it's very contemporary in that way. Do they bite their thumbs at each other? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to get the one in there. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are daggers involved. I'll say that. <laughs> well, you are certainly setting the stage for a dramatic uh, dramatic couple hours. So where can our Classical KUCO listeners go to learn more about this production as well as future productions you all have planned? Well, uh, certainly the website is a, is a great place, uh, okshakes.org. Also, you know, social media, Instagram and Facebook, uh, we're well represented there. And you can buy tickets online. Is there anything you'd like to leave our classical KUCO listeners with about this production or anything else y'all have planned down the pipeline? Well, you know, I think it's important to understand that this is a an hour and a half. It is fast. It's furious. It begins actually extremely funny and ends very seriously. You know, it's it's not fancy. It is about two guys at the top of their game and um, battling it out. Well, it sounds like it's going to be an intense yet enjoyable production. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today on Spotlight. Coming up next, Lemuel Bardigas and Isaac Byrne with the other Mozart. Please stay with us.
Support for KUCO comes from the Oklahoma City Philharmonic. Maestro Alexander Micklethwaite conducting. Announcing tickets are available for purchase to individual 2023-24 season performances, including the music of Puccini's Tosca. OKCPhil.org. Support for KUCO comes from Oklahoma Securities Department, providing investor protection through education and enforcement of Oklahoma securities laws. More at securities.ok.gov. Welcome back to Spotlight. My next guests are Lomel Bardigas with Oklahoma City Community College and Isaac Byrne, director of The Other Mozart. The production tells the story of Mozart's genius sister. It comes to the Bruce Owen Theater at OCCC, November 16th and 17th. Lomel, welcome back to Spotlight, my friend. Thanks for having me, Paul. Well, you've got so many great productions happening over at OCCC right now. The one we're going to talk about today is The Other Mozart, the story of Mozart's genius sister. It's going to be coming to the Bruce Owen Theater on Thursday the 16th and Friday the 17th. How does it feel to have such an accomplished performer and work being brought to OCCC? Man, I'm so excited about this show. I first saw it in New York about five years ago. And, uh, you know, at that time we had just opened our big theater and I wasn't sure that it would play well in a large theater. And so I've been wanting to figure out a way to bring it to Oklahoma City. And then someone beat me to the punch. I think it played in Oklahoma City maybe four, three, four years ago. I believe it was 2018 as I was doing a little research for yeah, this. It was 2018. Yeah. But I, I uh, you know, when we started this new format where we we're both doing the main stage and the large theater and then the smaller performances in the small theater, but doing two or three day runs, I thought this is the time to, to bring it in. And uh, especially for our audience, you know, Oklahoma City by land area is so large. And so people that live in Edmond may not necessarily come to the south side and people living more may not necessarily go up to Edmond. And so there's no, you know, there's no competition in having to bring in shows that, you know, that come back, especially if there's three, four years between them because the people that saw it the first time get to enjoy it again. Man, I'm so excited about the show because, uh, you know, it's an important story to tell. You know, there's uh, during that period of time, women were expected to be a certain way or do a certain thing and, and, and not do certain things. And and so her story was not, you know, didn't make the history books. And I, I think that Sylvia uh, and Isaac did a wonderful job in putting the show together and all the original compositions, all the original music and the, and the mannerisms of the actors and making sure that they were period appropriate. It was, it was a wonderful production when I saw it in New York. If you miss it the first time, here's an opportunity to see it, you know, now in 2023. Or if you did see it back in 2018 and you enjoyed it, it's a chance to see it again because a lot of the times you don't get to see the same cast or the same performers. And since it's literally just Sylvia, it's a, a chance to see, you know, how she's grown in that role over the last five years as well. Yeah, and not only that, you know, because the uh, especially in theater, you know, the the space plays such a, a significant role in your experience as an as an audience member. You know, if it played in a 
a black box theater versus a proscenium theater. It's always a different experience. And, and I love our space. Our Bruce Owen Theater is uh, 285 seats. And it's a really intimate experience, uh, and it, but it's proscenium. So if you saw it as a black box before, seeing it as a proscenium presentation is much different. And so it gives you a different perspective, different vantage point. Well, and I think this is a good time to bring in the director of the other Mozart, Isaac. Welcome to Spotlight. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, the other Mozart, the story of Mozart's genius sister. So it's written by Sylvia Milo. How did she come to write this story, and how did you come to be familiar with the production and eventually become the director of the production? Yeah, so uh, my understanding of uh, how Sylvia found it is she was she was a violinist and uh, a musician, actor, and she had taken a, a trip to, I believe it was in Vienna, possibly Strasbourg, and she was looking at this picture of the Mozart family, and that's, that's I think, all that the, the painting said. And uh, there was Mozart playing with this woman um and their hands were intertwined on the piano like you know they were they were playing four hands at the same time and it just said the the mozart family and she was like well who is this like who is this woman i've never heard of this she started doing some research i mean they know nanarol uh you know her that's her nickname that she went by maria anna was the the, the birth name but in in Germany and Austria, they, they know of her, but still not to really the degree that she should be. So Sylvia just started doing all this research, but she had never really written a play. So she ended up collaborating with some people and they, they created a show called Mozart's Sister. And she reached a point where she was, you know, looking for a director to come in and they, they had a script. It, it was if I'm being honest, not that wonderful. And Sylvia and I had a mutual friend, Vanessa Sparling, who introduced us and we met and we, we talked about the show. I watched a video of it and I went to tell her, I don't like this show. <laughs> um, I, I was like, I like you. I liked it. There was the concept of the giant dress. I was like, that is amazing. She's in a, an, an 18 foot dress um, <laughs> for the show. And I really don't, like the script. I think the story's amazing, but I, I just like the script is not what I like. And I said, I did like this part and this part. So if you continue working on it, you know, I would go in those directions. And she went, oh, those are the only parts that I wrote. Oh. And then I kind of stopped, you know, I had my own whole like, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want to collaborate with you speech. And I kind of stopped and went, wait, what? She said, yeah, those are those are the, the, the parts that I, I wrote and I, I came up with. And then we started talking and then she started to tell me the story and she had done so much research and had gone and like visited family's home and, and these various sites and just gathered this, this sort of deep wealth of knowledge. And then I was like, okay, you have to write it. And if you <laughs> write it, I'll direct it. And then she didn't want to do it. And she felt very nervous about that. And I, yeah, so we were in a, we were in the Houndstooth pub in Manhattan <laughs> I think in the middle of the day, and I somehow convinced Sylvia, who's, you know, brilliant on stage and very vibrant, but in person is a, is a little bit more shy at times. I somehow convinced her to start improvising scenes in the middle of this bar. 
and uh, actually some of what she improvised is still in the in the script and after that i was like okay i'm i'm excited i want to work with you on this and so we so we spent like a little over a year developing the show she would she would write and she would come in and say i want to talk about this what are some things that we can do we eventually got it so that she is not in the dress the whole time because <laughs> it's a little limiting you know there's a certain point i was like there's not a lot of staging it's like sit up <laughs> sit up a little bit more you know can't really move around a lot that's that's how i got involved what a story uh, a lot of being a director is really just sort of convincing people to do things <laughs> you really have to like be good at talking them into doing things and that's that's one of my greatest achievements is that i got this very smart very brilliant but a little bit shy woman to start improvising a scene from the mozart <laughs> family in the middle of a bar in midtown manhattan I mean, someone should write a song about it, but uh, that's 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 for another Ooh. interview for another day. But <laughs> but um, so it really does sound like her experiences as both a musician and um, and a, a thespian have brought kind of brought her to this story. Why do you think that uh, this story has kind of fallen uh, out of the history books? Well, you know, I, I don't think there's really any way, kind of to 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 talk about like why without there's just a tendency that we we really love the idea of like the lone genius and and if we're being really honest about it it's usually like the lone male genius you know there's i i forget the the name but like you know uh, carl jung's archetype work came out of a, a work with um Oh, I always mess up her, her name. Uh, Spielrein, I think is her last name. But like, she came up with the, the archetypes, which Carl Jung is known for. She also contributed to Freud's work. And Freud actually really credited her. And then as soon as he had died, the editors took all the credit that he was giving to her out of his book. It's just nicer to believe that like someone is like, a genius or a little bit above us you know you want to go and see the the person that um is amazing or seems to be touched by god or something yeah. you know there's no there's no doubt that wolfgang was a, an incredible musical genius perhaps even a singular one but his there's also you know they, they've looked at um, families where siblings are both like uh, musically gifted and it's incredibly important and especially to have an older sibling and usually an older female one how much that contributes to the development hmm. of uh, usually the person we know you know there were there are a lot of barriers that sh prevented her from making her own name absolutely you know? Well, a lot yeah. of female composers, you know, really up until late in the 19th century and really into the 20th century, it, it was that way. I mean, it was sort of that way even in the 19th century with uh, Fanny Mendelssohn. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Fanny's music is so beautiful, and you know, we're we're lucky that we have any of it. Exactly. Exactly. I, yeah. I mean, actually, the reason that you know Mozart being dying in in debt. And being buried in a you know in an unmarked pauper's 
grave. I, I believe it's a mass grave. Um, the only reason we know so much about the family is that Nannerl Mozart was so committed to saving and preserving and then distributing once people started to, after his death, really kind of realize what he was and what he had been. She really had like saved so much information, so many like um, pieces of music and things that like it was Nannerl and Constanza, his uh, Mozart's wife, that really like teamed up and like made sure the legacy was uh, was secure historically. That's incredible. Just incredible. Yeah. What do you hope our classical KUCO listeners take away from this story and production? First, I hope that the, it's it's hard when you only see the long list of like male composers and male musical geniuses to not think, well, you know, maybe there's something in the in the brain of the the xy humans that that leads to this or opens up the possibility of this you know i mean that's the thing about nanorel is she she toured with him when they were children they were both children and she was older than him but considered the better musician for a long time you know but she also i'm sure she did learn things like the violin but like women weren't allowed to play a lot of instruments even so we don't we're not entirely sure how much you know, does she play? Does she play the violin? Does she study it? She certainly couldn't perform it in public. Uh, the organ, uh, the women weren't allowed to to play. You know, most of the uh, the, the horned instruments. So you know, the, there's all already there's all these strange limitations. You know, based on like with the organ, like if a woman is moving her legs, you know, under her dress to to use the the foot pedals that's that's going to be too unladylike so then what does that limit how someone can grow and develop i don't think in most cases it was really malicious but i do think there were a lot of people who you know they just want this they wanted it at the time that this was a man's domain and it's you know it's funny how people will move to protect their territory consciously or unconsciously yeah, and it's it's just wild to me, um, you know how many how many great musicians or composers do we miss out on, just because of the societal norms back in back in those days. Yeah, you know, to your point, you know, not allowed to play violin or organ or a bunch of the other instruments in public. You know, had had you know so many of these women in in previous centuries been able to, who knows uh, who knows what we we could have had. But again, can't yeah. dwell on that. But obviously, thankfully, that is not the case. Uh, anymore uh, especially as you know I'm a former tuba player and you know for the longest time the tuba was considered a, a, a male instrument like only boys got to play the tuba which is asinine uh, anybody <laughs> anybody with lips and lungs can play the tuba uh, so you right. know, even that's yeah. starting to change and we're seeing some of the best young young players in the in the country in the world are, are, are female so it's oh, nice wow. that we're starting to break those those stereotypes and those uh, I guess tropes maybe but um, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's awesome now, uh, do you have a, a website, or where can our classical KUCO listeners go to learn more about any upcoming productions you have, or more about uh, the other Mozart? Uh, yeah, so uh, theothermozart.com is the the show website, and then if you want to know more about me, uh, you can just go to uh, isaacburn.com. That's I S A A C, uh, like it's like it's spelled in the Bible, and then burn. <laughs> 
B-Y-R-N-E, like Gabriel Byrne or David Byrne, uh, the, the drunken Irish spelling, as I like to say, <laughs> dot com. Uh, and I have a, a theater company as well, Theater for the People, with the uh, the number four instead of the word four. Okay. Um, you go to theaterforthepeople.org and you can see what we're up to there. Isaac, thank you so much for joining us today on Spotlight. Now, Lemuel, as always, where can our classical KUCO listeners go to learn more about this production and all the other great productions you have coming up the rest of this semester and into 2024? Well, the easiest way is always to go on the World Wide Web to tickets.occ.edu. That's tickets.occ.edu. And they can always call our box office at 405-682-7579 and talk to one of our friendly staff and ask them about what's coming up. Um, and then uh, to buy tickets, both of those outlets work, and they can also come on the day of the performance and uh, get tickets. This show is actually shown three times, and it includes a Friday matinee, so a lot, uh, three opportunities to catch a show. And stop by the box office Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's great. Hey, man, you know, like I said, I enjoy our conversations, and those are the things that uh, sometimes stick out in my brain. Uh, now, before, before we get you out of here, what do you hope the classical KUCO listeners take away from this production? You know, I think that for people who are classical music lovers, to be able to hear these stories that, that perhaps they were not aware of, that didn't grow up with uh, through the mainstream classical music that uh, we have all grown listening to and to hear a different perspective and uh and also because of the wonderful soundtrack of this performance uh it'll uh, provide a different perspective to the people that are there and so it, it, it gives you more appreciation for the music of that period and it also gives you a different perspective a woman's perspective to see what it was like growing up in the musical world during that period and especially with Sylvia being, you know, a classically trained musician as well as a thespian, you know, really combines, right. you know, two of her uh, immense talents into one singular production, which has to be just a truly an uh, awesome experience. Yes, yes. And she's wonderful. She's a top, top, top notch actress. You know, this is a Drama Desk Award nominated play. It, it's uh, very, very high quality. Again, you have to experience it firsthand to know what we're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lemuel, Isaac, thank you so much for joining me today on Spotlight. Coming up next, Dr. Zachary Daniels and Dr. Tess Remy Schumacher with the Oklahoma Community Orchestra. Please stay with us. Support for KUCO comes from TSET, dedicated to reducing tobacco use with the reminder that more than 30,000 Oklahomans are exposed to secondhand smoke at work every day. Information on the benefits of smoke-free work environments at tobaccostopswithme.com. Welcome back to Spotlight. My next guests are Dr. Zachary Daniels and Dr. Tess Remy Schumacher with the Oklahoma Community Orchestra. The ensemble will be presenting their next concert titled Love and Passion in Music on Tuesday, November 14th in Baugh Auditorium and features Dr. Tess as a featured soloist. Zach, Tess, welcome to Spotlight. Thank you, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> Good to be here. <laughs> well, I guess I should say welcome back because you both have been previous guests before. 
Well, and we're here to talk about the Oklahoma Community Orchestra. You are featuring the concert Love and Passion in Music, and we're going to be featuring Tess on the cello with the orchestra. It's happening Tuesday, November 14th at 7.30 p.m. at Baugh Auditorium in the Garvey Center on the campus of Oklahoma Christian University. So what are some of the works you'll be highlighting for cello and orchestra on this concert? Tess? Well, I'm really excited uh, to talk about uh, the pieces. Uh, actually, a year ago, Dr. F. Wagner and I had discussed to play with the orchestra. For me, it's always really special to play for my own community. <laughs> so I picked really my absolutely favorite pieces for cello, solo, and orchestra by my favorite contemporary composers, which are still living. And um, we all share a mission together to uh, bring beauty, love, and peace to people through music. And <clears throat> this is actually something which is very, very important uh, for me as a performer. And to talk about the actual pieces, um, we are going to perform with uh, conductor Dr. Z and the wonderful Oklahoma City Community Orchestra, pieces by Kit Wakely, St. Christopher's Journey. Kit Wakely is actually also an Oklahoman composer. Nice. He is a four times Billboard number one winner. Nice. And uh, this year, our CD, Adoption Story, which is all music composed by him, actually got a Grammy. And I was one of the featured cellists, and I'm so grateful and honored I could be on the CD. <laughs> so this will be one piece uh, we are going to perform in a new arrangement premiered by the wonderful orchestra uh, for solo cello and orchestra. Uh, the second piece we are going to pay, uh, play is um, Michael Hoppus. He's also um, a contemporary composer from Mexico. It's Some Other Time. It's a very beautiful short song for cello, solo and orchestra, um, which was inspired by Carl Sandberg. And uh, when I heard this piece for the first time, I was uh, really overwhelmed by the beauty of this very simple melody. We also have a piece by Douglas Nehans. It's called Mist Waves. Uh, this piece was originally written for violin and orchestra and got many awards. And I happened to hear this piece and I was just like, I got to play this on the cello. It describes really the timeless movement of the clouds in the air and I just love the piece, and he transcribed it for me for cello and orchestra. This is actually a premiere next Tuesday. Oh, no pressure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that one was a premiere. All yes. right. <laughs> and last but not least, um, we are playing uh, Remember Me by David Maslanka. It's a piece which is extremely close to my heart. David Maslanka always said music has to be healing and music heals. And that's the essence, what I believe as a musician, especially in the current times. So I feel e extremely grateful to uh, uh, Zach and uh, the wind players from the Oklahoma City Community Orchestra to take on this really big project. And uh, that would actually also conclude the first half of the concert. Mazlanka's music is just, uh, yeah, I... I when I think love and passion, I absolutely think Mislanka's music. And we, we lost him a few years ago, and uh, I know you've had the opportunity to meet yes. him and perform mm -hmm. in front of him. And, yeah, just an incredible individual. So uh, I'm, I think that's going to be a, a phenomenal way to end the first half of the program. And then when we think of love and passion, I think, for at least for me, 
one of those time old tales is is Romeo and Juliet, and you'll be playing excerpts from Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet on this concert as well. Yes, we will. This is a uh, it's an interesting thing that we've done. So for those that don't know, uh, Prokofiev wrote a ballet, Romeo and Juliet, and much like any good ballet composer, he extracted a lot of the pieces to write a suite of music. But he decided that he had two suites worth of music. So each one has seven movements, and we're not playing all both of the, all 30 minutes of each that would be an hour and at that point you know it'd be almost a two-hour concert but instead what we're doing is we've selected two movements from each that sort of represent kind of a whistle stop tour if you will of the <laughs> tale of romeo and juliet we're starting off with montagues and capulets which uh, that has the famous dance of the knights that a lot of people might be familiar with and that's something that the moment uh, they saw it on their stands the trombones literally just like shook their fist in joy just like <laughs> yes we get to do this they've been wanting to do this piece for a while and then an interesting choice instead of the actual kind of love theme like the actual romeo and juliet of it he act uh dr wagner originally picked masks as the second movement of his suite and originally i struggled with why would you do this versus the actual love theme or like you know the young girl juliet things like that but then i thought about it and it's such a joyous little piece and masks is it's only like two two and a half minutes and you blink and you miss it type thing but it's got lots of wonderful little nuances that happen within there and i'm really glad they picked it because it kind of circumvents what you might think of whenever you think of romeo and juliet because you know one thing that's great about the story is the fact that they kind of meet sort of in the wild type thing and that's what's expressed here in this suite and then we get into the darker half of Romeo and Juliet uh, <laughs> with the death of Tybalt, which uh, my string players are enthusiastically vocal about, I will say that. And the death of Tybalt, for those that don't know, it has some incredibly well-known and incredibly just daunting string excerpts. But we've been working really hard on it, and for those that don't know, it is probably going to be an absolute shock what you hear it's going to be really wonderful and then we end our suite of romeo and juliet with romeo at the tomb of juliet which is of course how most stories of romeo and juliet end and we're really dragging that movement out a little bit i'm taking it about 30 percent slower than a lot of other people have because for me it helps bring out some of the real inner beauty of the lines because there's some beautiful solos in there that just cannot be heard if you don't sit there and really wallow in really the sadness that is the tale of Romeo and Juliet at the end because how much passion they had it's matched by how much sadness is there at the end because well in Romeo and Juliet everyone dies pretty much and this is a version where yeah everyone dies but we still have that passion that love and that care for one another shown throughout the suite so originally I was very much questioning uh, Dr. Wagner originally on, hey, why'd you pick these? But now, in retrospect, I look at it and I'm like, I wouldn't have done it another way. This is a really great suite that he threw together. And and like you said, very uh, representative of the the hour-long uh, combination suite. So I think and this will be a, about 18 like. minutes, I think. 18, oh, nice. 19 minutes, yeah. It's like the very best of. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's literally the whistle-stop tour of Romeo and Juliet. Man, I'm going to have to start using that phrase. I like that. <laughs> whistle stop tour. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it's a good Everyone knows what whistle stop tour is. And, and music, sometimes you need that. What have been some of the challenges in putting all of this together, whether it be the Prokofiev or just working with you know one of our great local professional soloists that we have here with Tess? So there were a couple challenges uh, with this concert. One of them is 
we're coming off of doing Scheherazade in 1812. And uh, the performers are already like, we just played 8,000 notes and you want us to do another 4,000. But the, the real underlying challenge, jokes aside, was kind of completing the program. Because the program, as I was handed, we had the cello half, which was already put together so well and it was beautiful the way it was structured. But then I felt like the orchestra half was sort of missing something. And so I spent weeks on this just sort of thinking, how do I fix this? How do I add the perfect overture? Because originally we were going to start with the orchestra, then go into the cello. But then I just decided to try the whole look at it from a different perspective. And I was like, okay, what if the cello opens the concert? Because we've got this fabulous soloist. Let's open with her instead. And then I figured out why I couldn't figure out what sort of was supposed to precede Romeo and Juliet because Romeo and Juliet needed nothing preceding it, but we needed something to follow it up. And so now to conclude the concert, uh, we ended up settling on the Bersus and Finale from the Firebird Suite. Oh, yeah. And that's a surprise that we've been holding on to for a while, but I'm now confident putting it out there. I was going to say the concert's in a handful of days, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and that, you know what? That's an exclusive for you. We are doing the Firebird Suite, Bersus and Finale. Oh, it's one of my one of my favorite endings of, of an orchestral work. That's going to be what a way to end the program. Well, and it fits the love and passion very well, because for those that don't know the Bersus, that means, of course, lullaby. And what's more loving than a parent's lullaby to their child? That's I mean, honestly, <laughs> like and that's something. And I think because I was originally just trying to go old school. I was like, oh, let's look at some old operas. Let's look at this. Let's look at the other. But then I was like, no, a lullaby. That would be perfect. And so that's how I come up with the idea of Bersus and Finale. And honestly... I think it's a really well to put together program now, and I think that it's got a lot of well passion and love behind it, and even some of the stuff that we're doing with uh, Dr. Tess over here on certain pieces, like remembering in particular, it's just such a good way to end the first half, like you mentioned, and so we're really leaving people in just the right position to dive into something like the Prokofiev, and then build into the magnificent finale that is the Firebird Suite. That's going to be incredible. Just, just incredible. What is the importance of the orchestra bringing in outside soloists, especially, you know, the ilk of Dr. Tess, just a world-renowned cellist, soloist? Like, what does that mean to be able to bring in these folks to the orchestra and have them get to get to work with these professionals? What is the importance of a group like this community orchestra having the ability to bring in such great professional players like Dr. Test and be able to share these experiences with these world-renowned type players? I would say the real importance to it is not just showcasing incredible local professionals like we do on a regular basis, but also for the orchestra, it's to sort of show that we aren't just sitting there trying to learn music because that's something that a lot of people have a misconception of with community groups. They're like, oh, you're just kind of getting together and doing really easy stuff. No, a lot of this stuff is difficult, but in ways that you wouldn't imagine because a lot of times whenever you have a soloist, they're the feature and then you're just saying they're playing backgrounds. But that's where the real musicality has to come in because we sit there and we have to play with things like, okay, just how much are we going to put difference-wise between piano and pianissimo in this piece? And, you know, when it gets to mezzo forte, are we actually going to get there or are we going to kind of tease mezzo forte <laughs> just so that we can sort of create the right foundation for the soloist to take off from, because if we rise to a mezzo forte, for instance, that's going to tell Tess to do one thing. But if we only rise up to a mezzo piano, it might not be enough to give her the emotional launch that she might need. And so it's a real challenge for us, but also I think just so rewarding because 
being able to work side by side with world renowned professionals is always a treat. And I think it's something that's important to not just any community group, but any serious group of musicians to work with world renowned professionals whenever they can. And Tess, what's the experience been like for you getting to work with the community orchestra? Actually, I absolutely love to work with the Oklahoma City Community Orchestra. We go way back. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Th- yes. This was actually the first ensemble in Oklahoma City who invited me to be a soloist when I first came to UCO, which is, listen to this, in 1998. So we did the Dwarja Concerto in 1999, and I will never forget this concert. Uh, they played so incredible, also with so much passion. And I was really actually overwhelmed by the commitment and by the passion and the love for playing and for the music. And I always had in the back of my mind, one day I would love to play with this wonderful group again. And then a year ago, uh, Dr. Wagner and I, we just uh, talked in the jazz lab and then this whole new idea evolved. And uh, I'm so grateful uh, to Dr. Zach that he actually agreed to play this particular program as well. And it has been a really, really special time for me to, uh, we had now two two rehearsals to work with this really wonderful group. And they are all really special people. Some of them actually uh, even played uh, in 99 the Dorja Concerto. So it was really... Didn't we poll and there were like six? Yeah, so yeah. that was a wonderful so we've got reunion. Six, we've got six Dr. Schumacher, Dr. Remy Schumacher veterans. And yes. that's I think that's actually really cool. Because originally I was like, oh man, let's see if we do. Because community orchestras, you get so much turnover. But the fact that people were even like, no, I, was, I remember that. That was a good show. And that just shows how much impact that it has playing with such soloists. Because if you didn't leave an impact, they wouldn't be saying, oh yeah, I remember that. They'd be like, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, where can our classical KUCO listeners go to learn more about this performance or any other upcoming performances and events that may be happening? Well, of course, we're on all the relevant socials, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And then if you even go to our website, okorchestra.org, you can see our upcoming concerts, get tickets uh, for a couple bucks cheaper in advance rather than at the door. And you can even submit your materials if you're a young artist to the young artist competition that we the deadline is coming up in December and that performance will happen in April if you are chosen as one of the lucky winners. I'm really uh, excited also to announce that uh, Maslanka's Remember Me uh, was originally premiered by uh, Dr. Brian Lamb and the UCO Wind Symphony. We toured this piece actually in Germany and um, have a live recording available on a CD and uh, since I'm so grateful to Dr. Z and the community orchestra, I would like to donate a box of my CDs, which include uh, this piece, to the community orchestra. They will be for sale on the night of the concert, and all proceeds will go towards the orchestra. That's outstanding. Zach, Tess, thank you so much for joining me today on Spotlight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Coming up next... Dr. Sergio Montero from Oklahoma City University. Please stay with us. The UCO College of Fine Arts and Design is offering a diverse lineup of concerts and stage productions 
during the month of November 2023, including jazz combos and concert, faculty artist concert series, chamber orchestra and concert, and theater arts short play festival. For a complete up-to-date listing for other fall 2023 events in November, visit uco.edu forward slash CFAD forward slash events. Welcome back to Spotlight. My next guest is Dr. Sergio Montero. Dr. Montero is presenting his third concert in his recital series titled Brahms at 190 this Sunday, November 12th at 2 p.m. in Petrie Recital Hall. This recital will feature the Brahms Violin Sonata No. 2 and Quartet in G Minor. Sergio, welcome back to Spotlight. Well, it's always so nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, how are your fingers feeling? You've been a busy man so far this oh, semester. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, the fingers are fine. They're still in shape. <laughs> well, you're here to talk about uh, the third concert as part of your Brahms at 190 recital series. Uh, this will be the second recital that features some of your colleagues at Oklahoma City University. What has the response been so far from your celebration of Brahms? Oh, we have been so happy. I've been so happy. I've been so honored to be to be able to do this, and so proud of my colleagues. I mean, I've been getting so much support from from the audience, from the music school, from the students. I mean, it has been like really, really a joy. And uh, the second concert of the of the series feature our professor of horn, Kate Pritchett, and our professor of uh, violin, Nicholas Hatt. And it was a, a, a big success. We did the sonata, the first sonata for violin and the horn trio. And this second, this second chamber music concert, which is the third of the series, uh, is going to feature uh, the second sonata for violin and the first piano quartet in G minor. When you were here last time, you talked about the evolution of Brahms' music throughout their long career. And... With the violin sonata and quartet in G minor, you have Opus 25 from relatively early in Brahms's career, and then Opus 100, which happens much later in their career. Was that by design, or was that just a coincidence with how everything worked out with programming? Yeah, it was very interesting because I was talking to Nick, uh, Nicholas Head, our violin professor, about this, and it just happened. It's it's interesting when, when sometimes you put programs together and um, you think about so many things, and then other things come out after you're after you're done <laughs> with the programming, and uh, and this was unintentional. When, when we put the, the violin sonatas with the chamber music, with the with the, the horn trio and the, the G minor. And it was it's really interesting and also for the audience to see these yeah, I think we can say evolution. Evolution is always a tricky word, but you can see this big change of of, of Brahms musical language. The, I, I would say that the horn trio and the and the both the horn trio and the G minor quartet are way more palatable for the audience. It's uh, it's I, I would say it's it's easier to understand. While in the violin sonatas, as in the in the short pieces of Brahms of late Brahms, his style becomes a little bit um, way more concise. I would say. And it's interesting when I when I played the particularly the, the second sonata, I played this sonata. I was very young. I was probably like seventeen, 
And, uh, and I remember at that time, it was very hard for me to understand. It was very hard for me to understand this or not. It's interesting because nowadays, I hear that sonata and everything seems so simple and so <laughs> everything makes so much sense. But for me at that time, it was hard to understand because Brahms' late style is, is tricky. But that, I don't think that happens so much in the, in the quartet. I think the mm. quartet is, is, is easier to listen. And I always say, like, the last movement, if you don't like the last movement, you're not a human being. <laughs> it's like the last movement of that quartet is just unbelievable it's so exciting you just cannot stay you just cannot like not be just overwhelmed by the the power of that of that last movement because in there Brahms puts all everything that he knew about the gypsy the gypsy uh, culture and uh, the gypsy of uh, style of his music everything that he knows is in that last movement so it's just impossible to stay I mean, it's just impossible not to enjoy that. Would you say then maybe the better phrase to use instead of evolution would just be the development of his compositional style? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, when you, sometimes when you say evolution, that means that, I, I don't know. Some, I mean, some, some compo, for example, Wagner, I mean, st- I mean, you can really think about evolution because you can really criticize uh, particularly the very early music that he wrote. But uh, I think in, in, in Brahms, I mean, from the beginning, his music is so unbelievable. I mean, Brahms was one of those genius that uh, it's just like it's, it's, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to believe. I mean, how how his early music is so is so sophisticated. But uh, so it's so that probably that's why it's, it's tricky to talk about evolution. But uh, yeah. but you can really you can really talk about the development what does it mean to you that your colleagues at OCU have just been so willing to collaborate with you on this endeavor? I mean, seven seven recitals. I mean, obviously some are solo, but I mean, you're you're collaborating with you know members of all the different departments within the School of Music, effectively. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? I wonder how many schools uh, uh, in the country is able to to do that because it's uh, it's just fantastic that we are able to to collaborate so well. And uh, I mean, I'm so lucky to have so so many wonderful colleagues and w- just absolutely wonderful musicians, and it's uh and it's <laughs> it's hard to rehearse. I mean, it's just very hard because everybody's so busy. They're all I mean, they play with the Philharmonic, they have their own concerts, they have their own studios, and they travel. So it's just very hard to put uh, uh, to find time to rehearse. And um, so we, we have been, like, very lucky. And, um, and I think, like, also because of Brahms is just, like, the dream composer of every, every musician. And uh, he might be the best, the best German music composer of the 19th century. So it's, like, it's for, for us, I mean, for, for violinists, for, particularly for strings, it's a, it's a dream to be able to play Brahms. So it's, 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 I under, uh, it's also hard to say no. <laughs> to a Brahms project. But on the other hand, it's, it's hard to make that happen. It's just very, the practicality of that is very complicated, I think. But we, we, we are doing it, and I'm very proud of my colleagues. That's incredible. So what can our classical KUCO listeners expect from the violin sonata number no. two and the quartet in G minor? Okay, that's, uh, it's, uh, and that was intentional. <laughs> the 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 violin the second violin sonata is the the um, is the smallest of the of the three 
and it's it it goes I I from the beginning I thought it would go very well with the G minor quartet which is a very long piece it's almost like 45 minutes wow. it's a it's a long first movement is a very complex movement it's a it's a long it's a long pieces and uh, I would say maybe the second sonata probably would be like maybe like the most intimate of all three the most lyric of all three second movement is interesting because in the second movement he he connect i would say like the common lyric aspect of every second movement with the scherzo so it's something that's that's interesting he puts together andante a slow movement and puts together with the scherzo this is something that beethoven has done but uh brahms does it very well and that's a that's an interesting i would say that that's probably the most interesting movement of the sonata formally speaking and as i said the 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 quartet it's like this is <laughs> this magnificent piece uh four movements the first movement it's like it's just so many ideas and all the instruments with that's i think that's what makes the the brahms music so special all intri- all all instruments can be considered as soloists so it's a piece that feature the viola, feature the cello, feature the violin, feature the piano. It's really a piece written for for four soloists, I would say, like for four very good instrumentalists. Well, Sergio, before we part with you today, is there anything you'd like to leave our classical KUCO listeners with? I would like to say thank you for everybody who's listening now, and uh, I'm really looking forward for this concert this coming Sunday uh, at 2 o'clock. The tickets you can get at okcu.edu slash tickets. Uh, they're $20. And the concert's at 2 p.m. Uh, at Petrie Recital Hall at OCU. Don't forget that we, this year, we got a new piano from our donor, uh, Louise Bass, and it's a it's a gorgeous piano. I'm just, like, so happy with <laughs> it. I went to, to, I probably mentioned that last time that I went to New York to pick up this piano. And uh, it's just a gorgeous piano for chamber music. I didn't mention that before, but it's a, uh, um, it's I don't know. It just have like a the sound has a quality that is just gorgeous for chamber music. I really enjoyed in these last concerts. And uh, the concerts, uh, the next four concerts are gonna be in the um, in the spring. We don't have concerts in December, and uh, they're gonna be always on Sunday at two o'clock. And uh, the next concerts are going to be, the next three concerts are going to be solo, featured the solo music. I'm playing pretty much all solo music of Brahms, but the sonatas. So the, all the variations, all the short pieces. And, and the very last one, I will finish with the quintet. Nice. Uh, so it will be, will be really nice. Well, it's going to be a busy rest of this semester and a busy second semester for you. But we appreciate yeah. you taking the time today and coming down and talking with us today on Spotlight, Sergio. Okay, thank you so much. Coming up next, Nolan Riley and Joseph Ripka with the Oklahoma City chapter of the American Guild of Organists. Please stay with us. Support for KUCO comes from Oklahoma Securities Department with the reminder, if an investment sounds too good to be true, it probably is. More about investigating before investing at investedok.org or 405 205-2000.
Support for KUCO comes from Stillwater Heart and Vascular Institute, providing screening, diagnosis, and treatment to reduce risk of heart disease. Appointments and more at stillwatermedical.com, close to home. Welcome back to Spotlight. My next guests are Nolan Riley, Director of Music and Organist at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, and Joseph Ripka, Director of Music and Canon Presentor at St. Paul's Episcopal Cathedral. Both are with the Oklahoma City chapter of the American Guild of Organists. They're bringing in award-winning organist Amanda Mole to present a recital on Friday, November 10th at 7 p.m. at First Presbyterian Church in Oklahoma City. Gentlemen, welcome to Spotlight. Well, thank you for having us. We're here to talk about Amanda Mole. She is an organist. She's going to be coming to Oklahoma City this Friday, November the 10th at 7 p.m. at First Presbyterian Church in Oklahoma City. And she's being brought in as part of the American Guild of Organists, the Oklahoma City chapter. So first things first, I'd love to hear a little bit about Amanda. I read up on her biography. She is an up-and-coming organist, an award-winning organist. So how did you first get in contact with her, and how were you able to bring her into Oklahoma City? Sure. Um, so, as you said, Amanda is a great organist. Um, she's been all over the world. I first met Amanda when we were students together at Yale, and we've been friends ever since. Um, she's gone on to do a lot of really great things, including first prize winner of the Musashino International Organ Competition. Really big deal. A lot of competitors. Um, important prize. And she's played all over the world and all over the country. She's originally from Massachusetts. A Northeasterner. All right. All That's right. right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I find a lot of people that are from the Northeast love it when they come to Oklahoma City. It's a little bit different. Now, are you originally from the Northeast? I know you said you went to Yale. I did. So, um, I'm originally from Minnesota, actually. But I lived in Connecticut for Chicago, about 10 years. Chicago, so we got, the, we got the upper Midwest connection. That's right. A. <laughs> <laughs> so... What, what was the genesis for bringing her in? You're obviously an amazing musician. Was it just, hey, we got to highlight this person, or was this, is this for a special event? So the Oklahoma City chapter of the American Guild of Organists has, we focus on promoting our craft in the broader community. So each year, as part of our program year, we bring in a concert artist and offer an evening concert that is open to the public to allow people to enjoy uh, music, organ music, and also to get the word out about our chapter and our craft and the other opportunities that we offer here in the metro area throughout the year. Well, as a, as a, as a tuba player, I always love listening to organs because I love it when you get your feet involved and you just get those foot pedals and you just feel the vibrations through the, through the sanctuary or, or wherever the concert hall is. And Oh, man, I, I am just a huge, huge fan of organ. So I'm curious, what is Amanda going to be playing on this program? Sure. So um, let me start with just the venue, First Presbyterian Church. Um, it's got a really wonderful organ by built by Moeller, and it's very large. <laughs> um, 
I, when you talk about being a tuba player, um, I think about the lower ranges. Um, this definitely has a lot of those. It's just one of those tonal experiences that um, you really will feel and hear in the venue. It, <laughs> it's a it's a great place to have a concert. Also, a really important building in Oklahoma City. Absolutely. The organ at First Pres really lends itself to symphonic orchestral music um, transcribed for organ. There are a lot of stops and a lot of colors, a lot of um, solo stops um, replicating different instruments in the orchestra. So she's really um, been mindful about fitting her program to the organ, which is always a really excellent way to approach it. Amanda is playing several transcriptions for organ, so maybe some familiar orchestral pieces to some people, um, including the St. Paul Overture, which is um, an arrangement by William T. Best, um, kind of a, a classic arranger, I would say maybe on the difficult side <laughs> for organists. Also, um, an arrangement of, the, of Orpheus by Franz Liszt. I would say probably one thing that I always find peculiar in a, in a program, actually interesting, um, a piece by Mozart, F minor fantasy, which actually was written for a mechanical clock. So it's interesting that we play these pieces because originally Mozart composed them for mechanical clocks that play them mechanically. <laughs> really exciting music, though, and it's kind of a neat perspective to, to put that in the hands of, of a, a person rather than a clock. And I think everybody is kind of drawn to Mozart. Absolutely. Very tuneful, um, not often heard on the organ. I know for me, when I would do recitals, my goal was always to have somebody come up to me and say, I didn't know a tuba can do that. As organists, as fans of organ, when people come to recitals, especially someone at this level, what do you hope people walk away from either thinking or feeling about both this soloist particularly, but also the organ as a whole? That's exactly the response that you just mentioned is exactly what we would hope for. I didn't know that an organ could do that. Most organs are custom designed for a space. So it's not often that you get to hear the exact same combination of stops twice. And it's not often that you would hear Amanda Mole playing this instrument. So it's our hope that she is able to manipulate the instrument in such a way that people walk away going, wow, I didn't know that I could hear that color, or wow, that really sounded like a flute, or I had no idea that this music could be played on the organ like this. It sounded like an orchestra. You know, it's funny that you say that because I still remember back to when I was in music school and we were fortunate enough to have uh, composer David Mislanka come in and we did, I can't remember if it was his Symphony 4 or Symphony 7, I guess that part's irrelevant right now, but you know, he talked about when, when an ensemble, specifically a wind ensemble, is perfectly balanced and perfectly blended, it should sound like an organ. And I cannot tell you how many times that I will listen to a recording, especially Ms. Lanka's music, and when the balance and the mix is just right, if I close my eyes, I don't hear a wind band. I hear an, or or I hear an organ. And I think that's just the coolest thing in the world. So when you say, you know, we, we try to get it to sound sort of like a band or an orchestra, it just blows my mind because there are so many times I've spent trying to get ensembles trying to sound like y'all. <laughs> <laughs> It's so cool how, how, how that all works together. I know we've talked about some of the works. Is there one in particular you guys are most looking forward to hearing her play? I'm actually very excited about the program opener, which is the Felix Mendelssohn uh, St. Paul Overture. I have not actually had an opportunity to hear this transcription live, and I think this is a wonderful instrument to showcase this piece. I guess for me, I'm 
I'm always going to be drawn to, um, though I love the transcriptions, the, the music specifically written for the organ. And, you know, probably pieces I've heard, you know, a hundred other times by other organists on other instruments, how they adapt them to this organ specifically. And I, she's playing a piece by Calvin Hampton, who's an American organist, um, comes from his set of five dances. Number two, it's called At the Ballet. And when Calvin Hampton wrote this set, each one was very specific in the title. To and It's one of those pieces where you can read the title and then listen to the music and know exactly what he was going for. The first movement, for example, which he's not playing, but is called The Primitives. This one called At the Ballet, so you can use your imagination for that. Um, I think there's another movement called Those Americans. So... Um, Definitely sense of humor, but also really serious and substantial music. Now, can you tell our classical KUCO listeners a little bit about your organization and its history? The Oklahoma City chapter of the American Guild of Organists has been active in Oklahoma City since 1929. It is an organization for organists and friends of the organ. So there are choral conductors and students and professors church organists, and just enthusiasts that are members of our uh, chapter. We provide continuing education opportunities, concerts throughout the year, and we offer scholarships to new students to help them purchase shoes and organ music and the necessary items to begin study. That's outstanding. Very, very cool. So where can we direct our classical KUCO listeners to go if they want to learn more about your organization or see about any upcoming events and recitals? Yeah, uh, we have a website. It is www.okcago.org. What all can they find at that website? So you would find a list of upcoming events, information on how to join our chapter either as a member or become a friend of our chapter, which is a lower fee but gives you free access to a lot of uh, opportunities in the city. So, for instance, this concert on Friday evening is $10 for the public. It is free for members and friends of the chapter. Also, on our website, you can find more information about events in our community that are not necessarily sponsored by our chapter, but by members of our chapter. So, This month, uh, David Briggs, an international concert artist, is coming to town to play a transcription of Mahler's Second Symphony at St. Mark's Parish in Norman. So lots of concerts and opportunities like that are listed on our website where the public can find out how to hear more organ music live. Nolan, Joseph, thank you so much for joining me today on Spotlight. I'd like to thank my other guests, Dr. Sergio Montero from Oklahoma City University, Dr. Zachary Daniels and Dr. Tess Remy Schumacher with the Oklahoma Community Orchestra, Lemuel Bardigas and Isaac Byrne with OCCC and the other Mozart, and Sean Churchman with Oklahoma Shakespeare. As always, thank you for supporting Classical KUCO in making wonderful conversations like these possible. KUCO is committed to bringing you the best in local performing arts. Until next time, enjoy the arts. Enjoy the arts.